Hello, hello and welcome. Welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. We are glad that you could join us today. And if it's your first time watching the channel, watching the live stream, then you are most welcome. We hope that you will enjoy yourself and that uh, you will learn something along the way. And if you would like to participate, the, uh, the chat is always open to you. But also, uh, we've, you are more than welcome to jump on and um, say your questions or make your comments in person. There's the link on screen and it's also in the chat. And uh, you can just hop on just as if it were a Zoom call. And uh, we always like to uh, offer that invitation for anyone who feels so inclined. Today, the we're going to be discussing uh the human condition and it is something which everyone takes for granted either they don't think about it or they are so cynical it's they just take it for granted it is what it is nothing can be done about it or they see nothing wrong with it the human condition, well, it's the condition, the condition of being human. That's how most people interpret that statement, what it means to be human. Um, and for our background today, we have chosen a, uh, an illustration, a painting, which shows sort of some, you know, the literary tradition of the human condition. Because, as you might expect, the human condition is essentially the fundamental topic of all literature ever written. Every story ever written on some level is about the human condition. Even if the story is about uh, animals. Those animals, in one way, shape, or form, will be anthropomorphized. There will be a projection on the, on the basis of the author, on the part of the author. There will be a projection onto those animals and onto their society and onto their adventure, their dramas, which teaches us something about ourselves, which teaches us something about the human condition. Now this, this is nothing new. This is not revolutionary knowledge. This is common knowledge, or at least it should be. Every story ever written is about the human condition and tells us 
something about the human condition. Even if it's a schlock B, B horror movie, a slasher movie, that slasher movie tells us something about the human condition. We can hearken back to what Marshall McLuhan said about the medium is the message here. The very fact that such properties exist in so-called literary canon, right? The, 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 the um, uh, pulp fiction, essentially. These, these rags that apparently have nothing, little or no value other than the sheer entertainment that they provide, the escapism that they provide, that they offer, the uh, lasciviousness, the, the lewdness, the violence, the horror, uh, and so on. And this, of course, is reflected in television to a degree, more so on streaming, and more so in movies, and especially direct-to-DVD movies. They used to be called direct-to-video movies. Those are where the real B-rated uh, shock, uh, pulp films go, where the apparent value to those who watching this material is its sheer capacity to shock and awe. Or again, it's some sort of... Um, uh, slasher porn or or ultra violence or pornography or whatever that whatever the, the case may be but even those properties have something to say to us about the human condition so what could they possibly have to say have to tell us about the human condition Well, before we can really take a deep dive into this topic, we should probably ask ourselves, what is it? What does it mean, this human condition? What, what, does the, what do the words themselves mean? Well, human is a compound word of hume and manas. Manas meaning divine mind or metamind, and human and hume meaning earth, that substance, that Earth stuff, the stuffness, if you want to call it that, but physicality, materialism, the physical body, our hume, our earth in microcosm. You have the earth in macrocosm, but then you have the earth in microcosm. And the word hume in uh, general parlance, for example, in gardening, hume actually refers to that dark, black uh, matrix in which nutrient and microorganisms and water and oxygen and nitrogen and carbon dioxide mix. It is that vital, vibrant matrix that plants grow from. That's hume, that's earth. And if you actually go to uh, the garden center, 
on the on the bags uh, that you you can buy earth in bags, and it's this rich, thick hume that you will put in your garden to have successful uh, flowers and vegetables because it's rich in nutrients and everything else that those plants need to grow. That is the hume. And is it coincidence that we have a word like hummus? <laughs> that dip for your pita is hummus. It's the same root word, that hume, that richness, that thickness, that, that there's there's a relationship there. <laughs> um, and manas is that divine mind. It's not our intellect. Our intellect and our rational mind is very much associated with our hume, with our earth, with our brain. Our divine mind or the meta mind of being is related to the being. That's the being in human being. So really, human is only a partial statement. Because to be a true human being, you have to be a triune human being. Hume, manas, and being. Those are the three aspects. So in microcosm, right, as above, so below. If we have a trinity in macrocosm, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have a middle trinity of the monad. That's the Atman, consciousness, and human soul. And at our level, we have a tri-unity of Hume, Manas, and being. And this is what we can experience and what we can know at our level. So what about this word condition? Now, in the past, we've talked about, you know, looking at the, the root words, just like human is a condition, is a compound word. This word dition means state. And that state <clears throat> can be understood in two different ways, but they're related. So we can talk about the states of matter. So water can be uh, uh, ice, a solid, a liquid, or a gas, and that goes for most matter. But there's another fourth state called plasma, and there's actually another state of water as well, but we don't have to get into that right now. And that state dictates what the water is able to do. It The state dictates. And is it an isn't it interesting that some states around the world have dictators leading them? Other states are so-called democracies. But regardless, the state dictates. Regardless if it's a republic, a democracy, communism, uh, oligarchy, dictatorship, right? It doesn't matter the, the, how that structure is ruled. The state itself is what dictates, it's what creates the laws and manages uh, the nation and the people beneath it, the people within it, right? In the same way that once it goes below freezing temperature and it 
comes to a standstill and, and the water, the water molecules freeze and they enter into that state known as ice, known as a solid. Now that state and the molecular structure, the organization, the reorganizing of those molecules within the ice itself dictates the behavior and the actions of those molecules of that water. For example, it floats. It's now buoyant. Solid water is lighter than liquid water. That's a function of its state. That's the word dition. Now, what do we make of this word con? Con, as a word, <laughs> it, exists, it exists in the English language and perhaps elsewhere around the world, we're not sure. But in the English language, we all know what a con is. It's short for con artist, which is short for confidence artist. A confidence artist. Someone who prides themselves on the ability to win your trust, to win your confidence. They get you to trust them. Why? Well, so they can fleece you. So they can take advantage of you. So they can exploit you in some way. So they can rob you in some way. The point is, is that a confidence artist is not authentic. A confidence artist, a con artist, presents something which is the opposite of its true nature, of its true state, of its true dition. And a confidence artist, a con artist, wins your trust. A con artist gets you to let down your guard, to open up, to, to relax, to, again, have trust, have confidence that you're dealing with someone who's upstanding and righteous and trustworthy and honest and knowledgeable. If they claim, for example, to be someone on the internet uh, you know, making videos about spirituality or, you know, or, uh, a spiritual healer, a spiritual guru, you, you will notice that they go to great lengths, some of them, to win over the confidence of their followers. This is actually what a cult leader does. All cult leaders use tactics of charismatic leadership, but also very underhanded and very subtle methodology, methodologies of coercion and manipulation and um, psychological manipulation in order to exploit the better natures of individuals and exploit their better nature in order to indoctrinate them and win them over and get them to become not just identified with the cult, but obsessed with the cult leader themselves. And without getting 
too much into the mechanics of that. We can do that later if you wish. We can we can um, expand upon that. But the cult leader seeks to, again, exploit the better nature of the naive individuals that they prey upon. This is what a confidence artist does. These are what con artists look for. People who are, in general, good people and naive people, people who want to think the best of others, people who are not so cynical and and um, and jaded that they think everybody's a crook and we can't trust anybody anymore. Well, con artists, it's it's tough for con artists to con people like that for the precise leader that they for the precise reason that they don't trust anybody anymore. So the con, con artists can't win their confidence, or at least it's very it's much harder to win the confidence of a of a jaded cynical individual. Now, we're not here telling you that it's a good idea to go through life being jaded and cynical. That's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is, you know, because we have all been there, we have all been on the short end of a, of this, of a stick, and we have all been conned at some point in our life, all of us, because we've all been children, and we've all had some amount of naivete and innocence growing up. And at some point in our life, we were conned because somebody took advantage of our innocence and naivete and we trusted them and they did not deserve our trust. We put our confidence in them and they took advantage of that and they exploited it and we ended up paying the price. All of us, all of us have been there. And whether it was a small thing or a big thing, whether it involved money or something else, emotions, relationships, toxic relationships, uh, you name it. There are, there are an infinite number of con jobs out there, just as there are an infinite uh, number of ways that con artists go about getting what they want and exploiting others and taking advantage of others. But as a word fragment, con simply relates to, uh, it simply means with. And, but it's normally uh so in the word confidence itself fidence comes from fidelity and fidelity means trustworthiness to be true something which is true has fidence right it's it's has fidelity so we say of uh an album an, an analog recording we say it's high fidelity because it's captured all of the analog sound waves and, and it's recorded them and it and it so the reproduction of the sound is so crisp it's so true to life that we call it high fidelity it's so true to life so confidence attaches to that and says that means with that fidelity 
That's how you can have confidence with that being true to life, that truism, that uh, fidelity. But con also shows up in words like contrary and contrarian. And again, in relation to the con artist, there is this uh, association that that uh, someone who is contrarian means with the opposite or with we haven't done the uh, etymology on uh, trarian but uh, something like related to trait and nature and uh, so so with traits which are perhaps opposite but with dition the condition with a state which governs, which, which dictates. That is what it means to condition something. That is what it means for something to be conditioned. We cannot talk about a condition. Nothing can have a state unless that state was brought about in some way. So we can talk about human condition, the state of humanity, the state that a human occupies, a state that they live in, the state of their existence, but that state has to have come into being somehow. It had to have been conditioned and conditioned is a verb, is an action. Something is conditioned to be a certain way. Think about, we talk about conditioning the human body. Think about athletes who must condition themselves in order to be able to run marathons or to do sprints or to do what are lift incredible amounts of weight or perform beautiful, incredible uh, acrobatics or ballet or perform, you know, Bach on the piano. These are all examples of conditioning. Conditioning muscle memory, the nervous system, the muscles, the tendons, the cardiovascular fitness, especially we, we talk about conditioning the heart. Endurance athletes think a lot about conditioning and their VO2 max and all sorts of other um, uh, uh, numbers related to their athleticism. It's, it's conditioning. And in general, we think of conditioning in this... Um, having doing something over and over and over and over again, this repetitive training modality. And what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And as you, the harder you work, right, you have, the harder you make your heart work in reasonable amounts for reasonable durations, over time, the capacity of the heart is going to increase and increase and increase and increase. And your cardiovascular 
fitness is going to increase and increase and increase over time the more you train, the more you condition your body. You are altering the state which dictates what you can do as a physical person, as a physical body. That is what conditioning is. As you condition your body, its state changes. Specifically, cardiovascular fitness in this particular case, in this particular example. And that cardiovascular fitness dictates how far, how fast you can run. And that's all well and good for the physical body, but you're not here to get insight into how to become a marathon runner or you know how to lift more weight in the gym. What about metaphysical conditioning? Because surely all those literary works are talking about the human condition. Sure, they talk about history, they talk about sociology, they talk about biology in, in some cases, they talk about you know, physical aspects, cultural aspects, you know, they, they tell stories about war, they tell stories about love, about family about all sorts of plots and narratives and dramas related to this thing we call the human condition. So of course they deal with all of these physical elements. But all of that, all of those are an effect. Plots are an effect. Plots are an effect. Because even elements of a plot, elements of a story that appear to be a cause, they're also an effect. Because everything happen that happens, everything that you see in the physical world, in the physical plane, is an effect of the metaphysical plane. Even if you're playing billiards and you shoot, uh, and you're playing billiards and you see these billiard balls, which feel very solid, and when they hit one another, they make that characteristic sound when they're striking one another. And surely you're observing physical reality and physical effects, physical causes and effects, are you not? And the answer is no, you're not. What you are observing are the physical effects of metaphysical causes. There is no such thing as matter. There's no such thing as physical contact. That's an illusion. There is such a thing as coming very close and repulsion. And for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. But all of that is taking place on the metaphysical plane in the fourth dimension, in the foundation. And we know this because if you look down at molecules and atoms, an atom is 99.99999% empty space. And the outside of an atom 
is this whirling electron, so-called, which is really just a probability equation. There's, not, there's, no, there's nothing there. There's no physicality there to make contact with anything else. So when you talk about the human condition and all the things that happen in the world, and you discover what's most interesting about most classical literature and most classical stories and mythology and so on, is what they teach us about our inner nature, our inner world, human psychology in other words. And human psychology is what 90% of individuals generally think of when they think of human condition. Or at least they should. Maybe nowadays, maybe the social justice warriors and the woke people, when they think about human condition, they only think about the patriarchy and oppression and victimhood and and power struggles between the haves and the have-nots and all of that stuff and that's fair all of that is an aspect we can say of the human condition but remember all of that all of that is an effect all of those are effects they're effects of what's going on psychologically in our internal space and in our internal worlds So the conditioning is not out there in the world. The conditioning is in here. It's in here and in here. Just as an athlete conditioning themselves to be a marathon runner and improving their cardiovascular condition, all of those changes, all of that conditioning happens from the out from the inside out because yes you you might have to practice you might have to go jogging every day but the cardiovascular changes are happening inside it is a it's it's the only reason you can go running at all is because the heart increases its pump rate now of course there's a feedback loop and everything so it's we can we can Talk about chicken and egg all we want, but the bottom line is you cannot improve your cardiovascular fitness any other way. Even if, for example, you're taking, you're taking um, um, uh, what do you call them, steroids or other, some substances, some banned substances, performance-enhancing drugs, that's the expression that we're looking for. Even if you're taking performance-enhancing drugs, Performance-enhancing drugs are performance-enhancing, meaning you have to perform in order for them to do anything. You can't just take performance-enhancing drugs and sit on the couch, you know, channel surfing and eating potato chips and drinking Coca-Cola. You can take all the performance-enhancing drugs you, you want. You're never going to run a marathon or you're never going to lift uh, crazy amounts of weight in the gym if you don't actually go and do the lifting in the gym and the running out out on the uh, on the road. 
there's only one way to, to improve that conditioning and that happening that happens inside. Likewise, there is only one way to condition the psychology of a human being. There's only one way to affect change upon the human condition, to alter the human condition, and that is inside, inside of human beings themselves. That doesn't mean that people haven't tried and continue to try and continue to do successfully alter people's psychology from without. We started by talking about the confidence artist, and the con artist, and how the con artist exploits the human condition of an individual who's naive and innocent, and they exploit the better natures of those individuals now obviously nobody wants to be conned and nobody willingly allow willingly allows himself to be conned so there is something going on in the psychological state inside of that individual that's allowing them that's blinding them to the truth and allowing them to be to be had allowing them to be taken same with the person who becomes indoctrinated in the cult something is going on in their psychology and yes somebody outside of them may be manipulating them and shifting and altering and exploiting this human condition but what is this condition have we have we actually arrived there yet what is being conditioned what is it actually that is conditioned in the human condition. And in a word, we come to another con word. Conscience, consciousness. The human condition arises from the conditioning of consciousness. where consciousness which is objective free consciousness unconditioned consciousness which is pure unadulterated it's it's not dictated upon it becomes conditioned it becomes subjective. And specifically, it becomes subjected to. And the conditioning element begins dictating to that consciousness. In the same way that we said that the state dictates to the people the state is this overarching dition right like a condition like ice dictates like uh, the nature of water in that state consciousness is dictated 
by the state of its condition. And the state of consciousness, not unlike, let's say, that of water, that of, you know, that it can be, it can be a gas, it can be a liquid, or it can be a solid. If you want to liken one of these states of water, well, obviously two are much more fluidic and one is much more rigid, but perhaps the better application of the state of water is, is the water alive or is it dead? Is it structured living water or is it stagnant dead water? Structured living water is vibrant and it's life-giving. And it is able to do all the things that water is meant to do in the world with, with incredible uh, power and ability. Stagnant, putrid, dead water is stale. It's motionless. It, 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 it can only breed death. It's only, it's, it's a, it's a medium for, for all of the types of organisms, bacteria and, uh, mold and, um, uh, um, you know, when you look at a swamp, it's algae, right. That, that are all breaking things down and it's just, just, it's, it's death. That's why we call it dead water. Consciousness has two basic states, and one is awake and one is asleep. Objective and subjective. Unconditioned and conditioned. The same thing, and the same thing can be said for light. Light, white light, pure unconditioned light, is what it is. And then what happens if we pass it through a film? What happens if we pass it through a, uh, whether it's a single frame or a motion picture? That light becomes filtered, it becomes conditioned, and it projects onto the screen according to its conditioning. We've all experienced this. We all know this to be true. All of reality that we experience is essentially nothing but conditioned light. When you look around you right now, wherever you are, everything that you see is light being reflected back at you, but everything is in different colors. If you look at the light source, your light source will likely be yellow or white or some, something around that color but everything around you is going to be different colors. <laughs> Excuse me. And that's because aspects of the light are being absorbed and wavelengths of the light are being reflected. And so what you see is conditioned light and it's conditional upon what it's bouncing off of. And all that's all of reality and your consciousness works much the same way. You are receiving that in consciousness because that's, well, we talked about that in, in the past, the, the masculine and feminine aspects of uh, consciousness, the expressive and receptive aspects of the universe. 
inside of our own mind and inside of our experience of reality, if our consciousness is being filtered like the light by the film strip and what we see in our mind's eye and what, what we experience internally in our psychology is conditioned and is therefore conditional, it's being dictated by Right? It has a its its capacities are dictated by its state. That's what condition is. And here is where our old friend ego comes in to the picture. Because egos, plural are precisely those elements which condition consciousness. Egos change the state of consciousness from a wakeful state to a state of sleep, to a state of pure objective experience and the capacity to know experiential knowledge in its fullness, in its comprehensiveness, objective, unrestrained, unobstructed, to a reduced, filtered, conditional type of experience. And it is this conditioning by our egos that transforms a true human being, an awakened Buddha, with the capacity to see and know higher worlds, for instance. And we are reduced, our consciousness is locked in like, like water in an ice cube. And all we know is physical reality. That's all we see. And, and what we can sense with our five senses. That is a direct result of the subjective conditioning of consciousness. That we have a consciousness that's like water been frozen in ice. Our consciousness is stuck in that state of physicality. So we, we cannot like water in ice, we cannot make our way flowing through the oceans of the universe. And we certainly cannot evaporate up into the heavens. We're locked in that state that dictates our experience and dictates our capacity to know, to see and to know. So we're walking around with this virtual reality helmet on and all we see is the matrix or we're walking around in the matrix. Let's just use that uh, analogy. And so everything we see is, the, is dictated to us by the artificial intelligence, the AIs who design the matrix for us. Well, the AIs are inside of our own psyche. Those are the egos because they're mechanical entities. They're like malware that infecting a computer system. And 
if you've ever had malware on your comp on your uh, computer, you know that malware is there to grab hold of system resources and to replicate themselves. Malware wants to control your computer. And our human machine can be infected and infested, our brain, our mind, our emotional center, by egos. And they too, they want our system resources, but the system, the human resources they want most are our consciousness and our sexual energy. And in order to do that, they pull this con job on us. It's not by accident that we started with confidence artist and con artist to talk about the human condition. And when we think of con artist, we think of someone out there in the world who takes advantage of us. But all the great literature in which there are con artists and villains and um, adversaries, these are all allegories for where the human condition is really being played out. The human drama where it's really played out. And stories like Faust and other stories where we find characters being tempted directly by devils or demons or vampires or other such villainous entities, wizards, sorcerers, witches. I mean, fairy tales are full of this stuff. You know, even in Snow White, we have the, the witch who tempts Snow White with the magic apple, uh, apple and again, puts Snow White to sleep. Then you have Sleeping Beauty and many such stories where <clears throat> the fair maiden and Psyche is feminine. That comes from the tradition of Western uh, mythology, of course, but also in general because our, our nature is, our, our nature is, is mother nature <clears throat> and Psyche is feminine. Our Psyche is put to sleep. Our consciousness is put to sleep by these con artists that are inside tempting us and how do they tempt us they win our confidence they win our trust <clears throat> and how do they do that well for starters they all announce themselves as i and me and mine and my they all refer to themselves in the first person, which just makes sense. Why wouldn't they? Except they're inside of us. And they announce themselves that way by sitting on the throne, on the seat of power, on the seat of our conscious awareness. And they announce themselves. I want this. I don't want that. So your gluttony may say, I want another slice of cheesecake. And we, having fallen for this con job a long time ago, and we being asleep, we being conditioned 
by this endless stream of I, I, me, me, my, my, mine, mine. We, we go along with it. We continue to be had. We continue to be taken by these con artists inside of us. These egos, these, these, the sources of our desires, our cravings and, and aversions. Now what's more, egos are very, very, very clever. And egos, they, <clears throat> one of the ways in which they, they hypnotize us is divide and conquer. And that's the whole duality. Because they're mechanical. And we've talked about this before when we've talked about AI and we've talked about many, many times, but the duality, the on or off, that's mechanicity, that's the binary language of computers. That's the digital this or that, us or them, yes or no. This type of mentality, this type of uh, dialectic thinking is what keeps consciousness trapped in mechanicity. And our own artificial intelligence, our own rational mind, our consciousness becomes uh, bottled up inside of it and, and just hypnotized and trapped by that nonstop, constant uh, uh, engine of mechanicity, that mechanical engine churning and over and over and over again. And it's always yes or no, black or white, me or you, us or them. And you can see this playing out in American politics, but you see it playing out all over all over the world where it's all this divide and conquer. And people inside of themselves are being divided and conquered. Because, for example, uh, the ego of pride is the same ego as the ego of shame. So pride doesn't care if you love yourself too much or you hate yourself, just as long as it's one of the two. Pride always, always is like any malware. It's trying to replicate itself. It's trying to keep getting bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger and more and more and keep trying to push people to the extreme. So it might have started out as some um, harmless looking at yourself in the mirror might have eventually spiraled out of control into full-blown sociopathic narcissism. If we, you kept, if we keep falling for that con job over and over and over and over and over again, or we keep falling for the charms of the cult leader. At first, we might just be an innocent person walking through the doors of this spiritual group. But after years of indoctrination, after years of conditioning, we might end up being uh, turning into a, uh, a religious fanatic. That's the downward spiral. That's conditioning, becoming more and more and more 
hardened using the analogy of water and ice where we're just getting more and more and more into a deep freeze because there's you know there's the the ice cubes in your freezer but then there's ice that's like been frozen to absolute zero that might take days to thaw or weeks or months or years in the case of our conditioning because unlike ice which you just have to raise the temperature and ice melts our conditioning is more like firing clay in a kiln or anything else that sets like concrete right when it's wet it's pliable and malleable it's in a semi-liquid state but once concrete sets it's almost literally set in stone that's why it's concrete that's why we use it because it has that property once it's set in stone that's it that's its state you can't take concrete and make it liquid again all you can hope to do is take a sledgehammer to it or a jackhammer to it and break it apart. And even as we say these words, do you not get visions coming to your mind? Or, or are you not uh, reminded of that expression? Oh, that guy, that guy's beliefs, oh, they're set in stone. No, no, he's, he's got hardened beliefs. No, these rules and regulations, these are set in stone. This dogma, that's set in stone. That's the, our, the dogmas of our cult, they're carved in granite. You see those granite slabs over there? I mean, literally, the Ten Commandments were carved in stone and put in the Ark of the Covenant. We have these expressions for a reason. And we're, just, we're not just talking about the... Uh, axioms and slogans and commandments that we carved in literal granite on the on the uh, into the walls of temples like the egyptian hieroglyphs like the temple of luxor the edicts of the temple of luxor for example yeah they're carved in stone but think about you know having when we have uh conditioning that's set in stone when well, we start out malleable and pliable and flexible, but over time, over time, that conditioning sets. Or in the case of like trauma, that's like pottery in a kiln under intense heat and pressure, right? And in a traumatic, a traumatic event. What does it do? It 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 fires and it sets some conditioned belief, some conditioning, and now that person is living with this trauma their entire life. The egos involved in that trauma they're set in stone, in pottery now, in in 
in uh, stoneware, ceramicware. It's conditioned consciousness. But it has a new state, and that state is very, very rigid. And, you know, it's not easy and it's not pleasant to take a jackhammer to oneself. In fact, most people don't want to do it. In fact, most people don't even know they they should do it. That they have to do it. And they can't and they the reason the, the whole reason why they don't know it is because that consciousness that they have that should be free and should be fluid and malleable and and able to and flexible and able to flow around and see reality as it is it's in this state of inflexibility of hardened beliefs of set beliefs set in stone ideas and ideologies and you know we don't even have to go on that intellectual level we can just go on a very practical level of behaviors of habits that are set in stone what are our habits those things that we don't even think about, we automatically do them. Someone says something, we automatically just react a certain way. And we've always reacted that way. And we're always going to react that way unless we do something about it, unless we take a jackhammer to that conditioned consciousness, to that set in stone behavior. You know, what comes into mind is um, there are places in the world that have ancient roads where the wagon wheels and you, they're, they're, they're um, places like Pompeii and other ancient uh, archaeological websites. You will find these roads where the wagon wheels and the chariot wheels have been fossilized. So the ruts in the road have been fossilized. And you can see how over who knows how many hundreds or thousands of years people were taking this road and using wagons and chariots and they wore these ruts into these roads. And then at some point in time, there was a sediment that fell on top or like volcanic ash that fell on top. And then the ruts, the ruts became uh, hardened, solidified, um, fossilized. And many of our behaviors, many of our habits are like that. That we've just been, you know, repeating the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And we're leaving ever, we're cutting ever deeper ruts in the road. And those ruts are becoming ever more solidified. And so you know what it's like if you've ever been in that situation. Perhaps you've been mountain biking or or in something to that effect, and there's a rut. And then you're, you find your wheel automatically slips into the rut. It's very hard to get out of the rut once you're in the rut. That's the nature of a rut. That's why we have the expression, hey, get out of your rut. Because I see you there, you're stuck in a rut. We, we, these words have power, words have meaning, expressions don't exist by accident. And we, you can call them cliche if you want, but they're cliche because they're universal and they're true.
because they're part of the human condition. And isn't it interesting, as, as we're talking about condition and conditioning, and we can talk about uh, training for a marathon or doing any type of conditioning of the physical body, what is it? It's repetition over and over and over and over again. What is that? That's leaving ruts in the road. That's going, that's getting stuck in a rut, but in a positive way, right? It's practicing the same thing over and over and over again. What are you doing? And you're hardening it. You're solidifying it. But the same thing happens negatively. It's still conditioning. Conditioning in and of itself. It just means with state. To be with, to be in this state, to be with this state and the state dictates so how do you suppose one puts returns one's consciousness to a state of wakefulness and a state of free flowing and objectivity to get oneself out of the rut and back open and able to move with greater flexibility and greater potential than just repeating the same old, same old, the same old way. Well, it's it to cause a condition means to be conditioned or to decondition oneself. If one's natural state is wakefulness, and that's the natural state of consciousness, is to be awake, and the ego conditions the consciousness to be asleep if you remove the causes of the condition of sleep then the consciousness returns to its natural state which is objective and wakefulness this is why In true esotericism, gnosis, spirituality, whatever you want to call it, psychology, whatever you want to call it, it is not enough to do these so-called affirmations and think positive and think spiritual and pray and visualize spirit and, and just, you see, you cannot undo conditioning by layering on more condition. So all of those people in the new age, and especially those people who have a kind of allergic reaction to the idea of eliminating ego, they're all kidding themselves. If water is frozen in ice, 
And what you want is to return water first to a liquid state and then to a gaseous state. You must remove the condition of ice, which means you must remove the condition of cold. that is causing the ice to freeze. You must remove those conditions. Because even if you apply heat, which is what the New Agers would be trying to do, they're trying to apply heat. When you read Walter Russell, you come to realize that cold is not an absence of heat that cold exists just as heat exists. And if cold is applying cold and you're applying heat, you can't undo the ice. You have to heat up everything. You have to remove the cold and heat up everything. And you can prove this to yourself well, it's 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 hard to prove in in uh, that sense, but we uh, a quick story. Uh, when we moved to Guelph from Toronto, we switched houses with the owner in Guelph, uh, and um, it was a very eccentric uh, uh, fellow. He lived on his own, and uh, he was a uh, he was a professor. He was an entomologist. And uh, the house was filled with insects. And then we're talking like really big, really large insects because he was an entomologist and he refused to, uh, he, they were practically his pets, but they were wild insects just in his house. But he also had a World War II flamethrower. Uh, honest to goodness, World War II flamethrower, the kind that you put on your back and and so on. And he bought it at, a, uh, at an army surplus sale. And he bought it with the intention of being able to uh, clear his driveway in the wintertime with it. We are not making this story up. This is absolutely true. And as he was recounting the tale to us, how it was quite a disappointment to him that in the wintertime he went out after a big snowfall and he fired up his flamethrower and he was throwing 20, 30 foot flames onto the driveway, but he couldn't melt anything. And he later would go and he would look up in the physics books and so on, why, why uh, in the laws of thermodynamics, why was his World War II flamethrower not able to melt the ice on the driveway? And the answer is because it's not enough to apply heat to, uh, to ice and snow. You must remove the cold. You must raise the ambient temperature, in other words. If the ambience is applying cold, then no amount of heat is going, to, is going to reverse that. That's why we have things like ovens. And that's why if you want to cook something, you got to heat up. You have the element that heats up the entire pot, right? And you have to boil the water in order to cook the thing and so on and so forth. It's all in the law of thermodynamics. Well, if that's true... In that case, why would it be any different for consciousness that's been frozen, that's been put to sleep by these elements, these conditioning elements that have caused that condition? How, and when consciousness, consciousness is 
natural state is to be free and open and objective, that means unconditioned, how can applying more conditions to consciousness in a conditioned state somehow magically make it unconditioned? Have you heard the expression, throwing good money after bad? So all of that new age stuff out there, affirmations and this, that, and the other thing, and I am God, and I am awake, and I am living consciousness, and I am pure energy, and I am this, and I am that, and I am high vibration, and I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. You know what that's doing? That's conditioning consciousness. That's all that's doing. It's taking more free consciousness and it's freezing it in ice cubes shaped like stars and rainbows and unicorns and planets and gods and, you know, whatever hell, you know, the person wants to believe about themselves. But it's not liberating consciousness from its condition and it's not returning consciousness, consciousness to its natural state, which is free and aware and awake. <clears throat> now, where it starts to get more subtle in terms of the con job that's being done on this humanity becomes more subtle in the case of new age gurus, such as, I, I, I hesitate to use any names because um, we, we don't want to get anyone's back up if 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 you particularly subscribe or like a certain individual we don't want to create unnecessary blocks in your ability to receive the information we're sharing with you so we'll just say that there are certain schools of new age uh, thought of new age practice of new age ideology which has all you need to do is clear your mind and achieve that space, that emptiness within yourself. In Buddhism, they call it shunyata or calm abiding, where the winds of the mind that are constantly blowing through the mind that create the ripples on the water uh, settle down. And if you can if you can slow the mind to a light breeze and then finally gently allow it to settle down, the ripples on the water will settle down and you will get like a high mountain lake. And that lake will be like a mirror and it can reflect the heavens on that in that mirror. So there are schools of thought in New Age that focus on that that's what they focus on on quieting the mind settling the mind and experiencing the stillness of that lake and the peace and the 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 harmony the 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 this the calm and the peace and the and this is what they call joy and happiness and um But this is only the beginning. But the new age thinks that this is the end. 
This is, they think that that's it. That's, that's, I've now achieved the stillness and the calmness and the centeredness of the absolute. Because I've caused the mind to settle down. And, but, but, ironically, they might get very good at this. So it's like, the best way we can describe it is they, they take a hot plate with them into the freezer. And they put the hot plate under the ice cube tray. And they manage, while they're practicing, to melt the ice cubes in the tray. Then they achieve a state of liquid water. But the liquid water is still in the ice cube tray. And the ice cube tray is still in the freezer. It's just that they're applying enough heat directly and in an ambient way to heat up the metal ice cube tray that they melt the ice cubes. But as soon as they turn the heating element off, as soon as they stop their practice, what happens? The winds return. Because the tray is still in the freezer and the water is still in the tray. So as soon as you turn the heat off, guess what? The water freezes again. Because they've done nothing to address the causes of the conditioning. What is actually conditioning the consciousness? So you get this... Now, if someone does this all the time, 24 hours a day, and they put a lot of effort and a lot of energy into into having a heating element in the freezer under the ice cube tray, they have liquid water. But what can they do with it? What can they do with it? Can they cook with it? Can they make tea with it? Can they use it to dissolve something or or wash something? It's still in an ice cube tray in the freezer. Yes, it's in a liquid state and they can experience that. That calm stillness of, of, of consciousness and, and yeah, and a quiet mind. I can now experience a quiet mind. I experience the stillness and maybe even in that space I can start feeling love and gratitude and all sorts of qualities of consciousness because the consciousness is now free to express itself in its natural state. It's expressing its natural state. But this is only the first step. This is only the this is where meditation begins. This is not the end of meditation. This is not the goal of meditation. This is the beginning of meditation. Lux Custos has a question. Uh, welcome, Lux Custos. He asks, or she, sorry, we shouldn't assume. Is it very difficult to decondition oneself from chronic anxiety? My beloved suffers badly with it. Well. You've come to the right place if you want to talk about anxiety because anxiety is deep-seated subconscious fear. Anxiety is the ego of fear. And 
to overcome anxiety, one must observe oneself and meditate on the ego of fear. Now, fear is tricky because we've spoken and we've written at length about fear. We can, uh, there. This is an article that we wrote. And we are going to share the link with you in the chat. Um, this article comes from our direct personal experience of battling a particularly uh, crafty, clever, powerful uh, demon of fear. And uh, there's the link also on the screen, but there's the article anyway, you can see. It's uh, the title, Face Your Fears Many Faces. And we start with this quote, the fear and the search for security have turned the world into a horrific hell. And no doubt it is that hell that your beloved suffers from as we suffered from it. We came to live this life burdened, saddled with this fear precisely so that we could learn how to overcome it and to help others overcome it because fear is Fear and lust are the dominant egos possessing humanity. The desire for comfort and security, that's fear. The desire to control outcomes, that's fear. The primal survival instinct is fear, but that primal survival instinct gets applied across the board, across all of our egos. So a few moments ago, we were talking about the ruts in the road and getting out of your rut. And uh, we were talking about people who have uh, their hardened beliefs. They're set in stone, right? Well, these people, when you challenge their beliefs with the truth, they react how? They react like, like a, a, a wild animal that's been cornered in a cage. They're ferocious. They're vicious. They lash out at you. Why? Because the best defense is a good offense. And if you think about the hardened beliefs and the hardened habits and the hardened behaviors that are set in stone, stone what? Stone walls. The walls of Jericho that are keeping out, or, or, the, or the Great Wall of China, that are keeping out the Huns, right? That's why we build walls. We build walls around ourselves. Why? To protect ourselves, to give us comfort and security. And what gives us more comfort and security than our beliefs, than our habits, than to all those things that are set in stone? 
And if they are set in stone because they're giving us comfort and security, then those are the walls of our fortress. Those are the walls of our keep, of our castle. And then what? We hear sounds. We hear movements. We hear rumblings out there in the world. <gasps> oh, no. The Huns are at our doorstep. Or, the, or, the, or the, 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 the Jews have come to the walls of Jericho and they have the ark with them. And they're threatening to, to shatter and crumble the walls of Jericho. Because as soon as you create a wall, there's going to be something on the other side of that wall. And if you created that wall out of fear, if you created that wall for comfort and security, as soon as that wall goes up, anything and everything happening on the other side of that wall is going to be doing what? It's going to be stimulating your fear. But that fear is tucked away in the Holy of Holies, deep in the temple of your subconscious mind, deep in the dungeons under the city, right, where it's safest. That's where fear is going to be, where it's safest, deep in the dungeons under the city, in the catacombs. And from the catacombs, from the dungeons under the city, the elite, the leaders, where they go down to their safe room, they're going to be dictating. They're going to be saying, oh, double the guards. Double the guards on the wall. Double the archers on the battlements. Build a moat around the wall. We're not safe. We're not safe. I can hear them. I can hear the, uh, the, the, the Israelites out there. They've got the ark. They're coming for us. They're coming for me. You mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how many fortifications or battlements we create. It doesn't matter how many hardened belief systems we create. If we're creating them out of fear, then in the heart, in our subconscious, deep in our subconscious, the fear is still there and fear can only fear. And that radiation comes out. And that's what we experience as anxiety. That's what we experience as anxiety. It's deep-seated, repressed, unprocessed fear. And we have all sorts of defense mechanisms, all sorts of battlements, these hardened beliefs and habits that we've built around ourselves, all these conditions and conditioning that we have created. And still, it cannot address the fundamental problem. But we still feel afraid. We still feel anxious. Why? I make good money. I got a good job. I make good money. I have life insurance. I have all of these different things. I have all of these things that give me comfort and security. I have my uh, comfort foods. I have, I have the music that I love. I'm, I'm surrounded by people who love me. Uh, um, you know, I, 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 I do all of these things outside of myself to, 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 to try to create comfort and security. And yet I can't get rid of the anxiety because someone who's afraid who's in the safe room in the in the deep in the catacombs under the city it doesn't matter how many walls of jericho they build around the city that's not going to change how afraid they are it will never you there's no external there is no conditioning that can undo a condition 
you have to undo the conditioning, which means you got to break down all the walls. And you got to get to the heart of the fear itself. You have to face your fear. And you got so you have to know what it is you're afraid of. And ultimately, that's why we wrote this article as we did, because fear is the great chameleon. Fear is the great con artist. Because fear loves to disguise itself as other things. And fear loves to have us chasing our tail. Because fear is afraid. Fear is a terrorist. Fear hides in the shadows. And leaps out on, at us when we least expect it. Or, as I said, he's hiding in the safe room, in the catacombs, in the dungeons, under, under, the, under the city. And, and, and that toxic radiation, the, 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 the dictation, right, the, the, um, the dictatorship is ruling from that safe room. And what's coming out are all of these mandates and all of these laws and all of these uh, royal decrees for, for people to be afraid. For people to be anxious, you're not safe. You're not safe. You got to take more measures. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to be. You got to watch out for the Huns. You got to watch out for these people. You got to watch out for those people. Right. So it's it's this. Um, the only way is you got to go down into the dungeon. You got to crack open that safe room, and you've got to face your fear directly. The only way, and this can only happen through self-observation, self-remembering, and meditation. And observing those habits and behaviors that are set in stone, that right now your, your loved one is probably not paying attention to, is probably take for granted. Like there are, um, they may do something like, for example, um, gosh, Okay, so maybe they are obsessed with um, hygiene. Maybe they're still wearing masks because they're afraid of COVID. And maybe they wash their hands every opportunity they get because they're afraid of getting sick. So, so, so maybe they're a germaphobe. Or maybe they're afraid of heights, or they're afraid of open spaces, or they're afraid of uh, noisy places. Or, you know, again, we shared this article with you for a reason. This article is very lengthy and kind of comprehensive, and will give you and your loved one a better, uh, a better framework for approaching fear and anxiety and so on. And we give several different possibilities and opportunities for you to identify uh, secret expressions of fear. So things that you might be experiencing that on the surface seem innocuous or seem innocent enough, but secretly they're just a, a tendril a, um, of, of, 
of this uh, of this demonic entity that has its tendrils, you know, basically choking out your loved one. And you want to get to the heart and the core of that entity that that all these different tendrils are 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 coming up from. And you can you can get there by following any one of these tendrils. Any one of these tendrils can lead you back to that underlying fear that's that's a result. Just recognize that fear is very clever and very subtle and very crafty because remember fear is the survival instinct. And just like an animal that fears for his life, fear is not going to stay put. It's going to run, it's going to hide. And so it's not easy to track down and corner fear and get fear to face you mano a mano. Fear doesn't want to do that. Fear wants to stab you in the back while your head's turned. That's what fear does. Fear doesn't fight fair. In one of our experiences in the astral plane, uh, we awoke um, and our, our whole place had been ransacked. And we knew who ransacked it. This was happening, of course. This is all a, um, an allegory for our own psychology, our own subconscious mind. Someone, but someone had completely ransacked the place and we knew who it was. We knew that the demon of fear had come and ransacked the place to, 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 to strike fear in our heart. To know that, look, I can come and I can mess with you whenever I want. There's nothing you can do about it. And I remember in that dream, crying out to him, saying, here I am, face me. Come out and show yourself. You coward, show yourself. If you're so big and tough, if you have so much power over me, come and show me how much power you have. But he never did. Not in that case. Because fear is afraid. And the only other time I met the demon directly is when he ambushed me. When he came up from behind and he, and he uh, uh, you know, and grabbed the, uh, the, the scruff of my neck and immediately paralyzed me. Because he grabbed the because the spinal column and you know the motor, the motor, um, the uh, that center, the motor center of the human machine is at the base of the skull, where the where the spinal column meets meets the skull. Um, that's why you know you pick up animals by the scruff of the neck, and that's why we put leads on dogs. You can put a leash on a dog and lead a dog around. It's the it's same reason because it's it's. And he grabbed me there and I was completely paralyzed. But he snuck up on me. Because that's what fear does. Anyway, we don't want to go on too long about this. But um, that's what your loved one is dealing with. It's not anxiety that they have. Anxiety is a symptom. It's not a cause, it's a symptom. And that symptom is that ra is a radiation it's coming to the surface of some deep, deep, deep subconscious fear. So you have to follow whatever leads you can, whatever hints, whatever breadcrumb trails you can. you got to follow those down into the deep, dark dungeon and confront your fear one-on-one, -on -one, face to face. It won't be easy, but you can do it. We did it.
But you see, this going over this this topic of fear is one good example of one good case study of how our consciousness becomes conditioned and how the primal survival instinct conditions so many other aspects of our life the comfort for for the uh the desire for comfort and security, the desire to control others, the desire to control outcomes. So that, um, and when we go out into the world and we see people looking at us and maybe whispering to themselves, immediately do our minds jump to, oh my God, what do they think about us? In other words, are we subconscious? Are, are, are we, are, not subconscious, are we self-conscious? There was a Freudian slip. Are we self-conscious when we go out in public? Are we worried about how we look and what other people are saying about us? What what what, oh, what are others' opinions of us? You know, when we go into a place and we're self-conscious and we start feeling hot under the collar because we feel like, oh my God, all these eyes are must be on me. They must be judging me. They must be, what do they think of me? Right? That's all fear. That's all fear. But you see the consciousness, if you experience this or something like this, or perhaps you go into a, an open space or uh, perhaps you go into another circumstance and immediately, immediately your thoughts turn a certain way or your emotions immediately come on a certain way and you immediately feel not at ease. You immediately feel unease. You're not, you're no longer relaxed. You, you, you feel tense, you tense up and maybe you start to get panicky, right? And it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. The point is, is you have been conditioned. Your consciousness has been conditioned to react in that way to those circumstances. That's a completely mechanical equation. Stimulus, response. Stimulus, reaction. When the consciousness reacts automatically to a stimulus, without our, without our conscious direction or awareness even, without our wills or and sometimes against our will these are the moments we realize just how conditioned we are and just how in a rut we find ourselves okay you're welcome looks custos and okay that's fine i just we just you know, we can never, we, we can't just make, uh, we can't make um, uh, assumptions. Um, so, when we talk about the human condition, right, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the elements that have conditioned um
to a point where we are not true human beings. We're automatons. We're going through life just reacting to stimuli. And we're reacting to stimuli because of these programs, these algorithms, these egos that have hijacked our system resources, specifically consciousness, but also energy, the vital energy, the sexual force. And they have conditioned us to be these automatons. They've frozen our capacity our, our, to be conscious and free to make our own choices. And instead, they're making choices for us. Now, Kamal Manzuki brings up a good point. He says, I see this so much in people who argue against free will. You see, the free will that we have or don't have is whether or not we are self-aware and able to actually follow through and make the choices or not, whether we have the willpower to resist our conditioning and instead choose to be, choose to be in observance, to be in our free, available free consciousness. And what more? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But first, that's the first step. So like we said about that new age guru that says it's all about just quieting the mind and getting into that space of observance. Yes, that's important. And that's where you want to be, but that's only the beginning. Because the natural question that comes is, if I make the mountain lake completely calm and settle down with no winds blowing through the mind, so nothing to disturb the surface of the water, and it becomes like a mirror, then guess what? It can reflect the heavens. So now I should be looking into that mirror to know what heaven wants me to know. And more importantly, what heaven wants me to do. What heaven wants me to say. What heaven wants me to be. Because that's our magic mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall, but it's... It's and why? Because that mirror has the potential to reflect our true self, our innermost being, our innermost essence of the logos, our innermost intimate Christ spark seed essence, the one who is actually here trying to live this life and do it, his work through us, but he can't because when he tries to communicate to us, there's so much wind blowing and the, there's so much uh, um, uh, uh, waves on the waters that we can't, we can't see. We can't see what, we're, what he's trying to communicate to us. We can't hear it. <clears throat> All we hear is the cacophony of the mind. And we're conditioned to just follow that cacophony 
automatically, mechanically, as if that is who we are. That's why all everything in the mind comes up as me, I, us, I want, I don't want, right? It's always, it's always in the first person, this cacophony, this conditioning, these, these uh, getting us into the, and, and everybody on one level or another is stuck in this rut, this stuck in this rut of thinking and getting caught up in our thoughts. I do it all the time. I'm no different. I'm not awake. I'm no Buddha. I'm not, you know, not special. I find it all the time. I find myself falling asleep or, or waking up and not realizing where the last half an hour went. Oh my God, I've been daydreaming for half an hour. I didn't even realize it. We, we fall asleep. We, we, we get stuck in that rut because we've been in that rut all our lives. And many of us have been in that rut for many lifetimes. So the egos are taking, are actively trying to take away from us our free will. But at the same time, remember, at the same time that they're doing that, with the automatic habitual behaviors, they're always pushing the limits. They're always trying to get us deeper under their control, right? Falling deeper into hell, falling, you know, deeper into the abyss. That's called the downward spiral. Just ask any addict. No one starts off on skid row. Anyone and everyone that you find in those wretched hell holes here on earth, those people who are utterly possessed and consumed by these demons that make them destroy themselves on things like heroin or things like, you know, sex addiction or video game addiction or, or gambling addiction, and it destroys their family, their finances, their social life, their careers, you know, None of those people started out that way. Well, then how do they end up that way? There's only one way. It's the alm of life, the downward spiral of explosion and implosion. An explosion of ego leading to an implosion of life. Implosion of the being. Implosion of consciousness, of free consciousness. As the an explosion of ego causes the consciousness to contract and contract and contract and contract like that ice cube being put under absolute zero. And if it's, you can imagine that ice cube just getting shrinking, shrinking ever more dense and dense and dense and dense and dense because of the extreme cold that's being applied to it. The extreme conditioning that's being applied to it. Those people, those poor, those addicts are in hell. And that's really ultimately the goal of all of this conditioning the, the the causes of egos the black lodge that is the goal of their conditioning because their goal is to put everyone in a state of hell and that's the human condition and that's what all this literature 
and stories and films and movies and, and religion is about. How we end up in hell and how we get out of hell. And we don't get out of hell by applying more conditions. We get out of hell by eliminating the forces, the elements that are conditioning our consciousness and continue to condition our consciousness. You can't... Uh, let's go back to the walls of Jericho, right? If you fear, you built all these walls, right? What are you going to do? How, how, do you, how do you overcome your, your fear? You have to face your fear. How do you, how do you do that? You get the fear to come out, to, to face you. Well, well, what's the easiest way to do that? You smash the walls. You smash the walls. You trigger the ego to come out from its dungeon, from its safe room. Because when it panics, then when it says, no, 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 we got to repair the wall. Boy, he's going to rush up from his dungeon. Right? When you, so that's why we are, our Divine Mother orchestrates events in our life which can to us seem like they're earth-shaking, earth-shattering events, traumatic events, life-changing events that, that, that yank the rug out from under our feet and we come crashing down, we come falling down hard on our ass and we're, we're electroshocked into awareness, into wakefulness. And our dominant ego is triggered in some way and comes to the surface and we might have a panic attack or we might feel whatever we're feeling or might feel severe depression or we might even have a you know some sort of a, a physical response or we have an incredible explosion of pride or of lust or of narcissism or of gluttony or whatever and 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 in those moments of severe temptation and everything else and and we might fail we might fall but in those moments, if we are observing ourselves, if we're watching all of this craziness going on inside of our psychology as our egos react automatically and as our conditioned consciousness is made to react automatically in the same old, same old repetitive way, only in a heightened way, a way that's hard for us to ignore a way that is unique and distinct because we've never had this type of experience before and it's really shaken us to our core, these are the opportunities, right? This is the chink in the armor. These are the cracks in the walls of Jericho. This now is the opportunity for us to get the free consciousness in there, in between those cracks and start prying them open. And start letting the light in. And letting the light in through those cracks down onto those onto that dungeon onto that safe room, and we should be doing this, All right? So these are the outward things happening in our life that our divine mother is orchestrating in our life, and the law of attraction 
is helping make happen in our life because we don't attract what we want. We attract what we are. So if we attract people into our life that are, you know, that are a certain way and we keep attracting the same type of people into our life and we keep ending up or we keep having the same arguments with our loved ones or our friends, we, we, we just keep running the same pattern over and over and over again. The same programs are running over and over again. The same arguments, the same fights, the same struggles, the same whatever. Right? We have to look at that and observe that and say we're stuck in a rut. The needle is stuck on the record. keeps playing the same part of the song over and over and over and over again. So when life comes along and slams its hand on the table, makes the needle jump and skip, we have, to, we have to take advantage of that and make sure that the needle keeps playing the music and doesn't get stuck in a new rut. And while all of that is going on in our life outside of us, the life that we're living moment to moment, day by day, where we're practicing self-observation, we also need to be practicing meditation and we need to be combining the two so that when we have these moments, these arguments, these fights, these struggles, when, when during the day we're observing the egos that are causing our conditioning or we're just observing the conditioned behaviors themselves, let's just start there. Do you have a nervous twitch? Is there something you do when you're when you're not at ease or when you're not comfortable or nobody else is looking? Is there something you do automatically without thought? Unconsciously, you just start, I don't know, you, you play with your earring or you play with your ring or you pick your nose or who knows, right? Is there, is there something like that that you do when nobody else is watching, nobody else is looking? Do you, do you suffer from emotional eating? Do you... Do you have any other like vices or behaviors like that that you do that are automatic and they're just on on yeah like on autopilot this is this is just what you do when this and this happens in your life this is what you do this is your go to thing this is what I do I go and I put on a violent movie or I put on a violent video game or I do this or I do that or and this is what I do and I don't know why I do it I just always done it and this is what I do well, look at that. And look at that in meditation. Go into observe that in meditation. Hold that mirror, that mountain lake mirror. Don't think about what you do and why you do it. Don't try to figure it out because the mind is not going to give you a straight answer. The mind is not going to figure it out for you. And don't go on the internet, you know, let's, uh, you know, to, to find out what some psychologist has to say about what you do and why you do it. <clears throat> you might get some, you might get some interesting direction, some in, uh, interesting framework with which to look at what you're doing, but beware, beware because psychologists and their psychobabble can be very, very uh, tempting to the mind. And it's very tempting to, and I'll tell you what that's like, the ruts in the road that are uh, fossilized, that are set in stone, those ruts in the road, you go to a psychologist, nine times out of 10, 
the advice that they're giving you is akin to take some fresh concrete and pour it over those ruts and smooth them out. And then, then you won't have ruts in your road anymore. Okay, fair enough. But the ruts are still there. The consciousness bottled up and frozen inside of that fossilized mud, those fossilized ruts in the road, that the, you, haven't, you haven't liberated the consciousness from anything. What have you done? Through cognitive behavioral therapy or who knows what other, you know, fandangled things that they do, use trickery of the mind, self-hypnosis, all sorts of, you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, trickery in the mind, trickery, psychological, you know, uh, parlor tricks. Yeah, you've, you've poured fresh concrete and you smoothed over the ruts. But how has that liberated the consciousness that's trapped? in the fossilized mud of those ruts, right? It hasn't. But boy, is it tempting to do. When you go over that road every, every day and you're observing yourself and you're observing your wagon wheels getting stuck in those ruts, and, you, and you, you, once you become aware and conscious of these, these, these uh, habitual behaviors and habitual thoughts that you have, and you suddenly realized, yeah, hey, that's a mechanical, automatic, habitual, conditioned behavior. Why am I doing that? It's, it's so tempting to, to say, okay, I'm going to teach myself uh, a new behavior to do instead of that one. That's cognitive behavioral therapy, in essence. You just, I'm going to train myself away from that. I'm going to train myself to not do that. Okay. But you haven't, you don't have any knowledge. You haven't extracted, you haven't freed the consciousness. You, you, you don't know, you still don't know why you were doing it in the first place. Wouldn't it be so much better to comprehend the nature of those ruts and the nature of the fossilized matter there that's created that created those ruts and how they were created and comprehend that process it's a natural process fossilization it's a natural process it's a natural biological geologic mechanical process of creating ruts in a road that become fossilized so who better to reverse that process than our own individual divine mother. The ruts in the road that are fossilized are a process of mother nature. What mother nature does, mother nature can undo. Fact. Look around you. What mother nature gives rise to, what mother nature gives birth to, mother nature takes back. Fact. Absolute, undeniable fact. It's called death. Birth and death. Absolute, undeniable. 
those who deny death, completely ignorant, utterly ignorant. We're not talking transformation. The thing dies. It was born, and then it dies. The matter, the substance, and the energy, while well, the mother, nat mother nature will do with those what she will. They belong to her. They are her body. What arises in nature from her womb, what takes form in this virtual reality of three-dimensional reality, this, three, this virtual reality of matter, what takes form can be unformed, can be deformed, can be shattered, can be broken, can be annihilated, can be turned to dust. And it can only be done by the same forces which brought them into form in the first place. And that is our Divine Mother Nature, uh, Divine Mother Devi Kundalini Shakti. But wouldn't it be so much better to comprehend with her assistance in meditation that rut that you're in, that's been fossilized, that's been set in stone, that rut, comprehend that stone, comprehend that rut. And when you comprehend it, and the light, the flash of lightning comes in the dark of night in meditation, you, you suddenly realize, oh, so that's why I've been doing that all these years. So that's when I started to do that. So that's what's behind all of that. In that moment, after that moment, your divine mother says, hallelujah, child. You no longer need that lesson. You no longer have to experience that rut. You no longer have to be stuck in that rut because you've learned what that rut was trying to teach you. You have learned what I was charged to teach you. I made that rut in the road so that that mechanical entity, that ego haunting you, possessing you, I allowed that mechanical entity to express itself and, and I allowed it to, 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 to uh, um, uh, what's the right word here? Carve those ruts into my very body such that you could extract from that the lesson and the knowledge, the gnosis that you needed to learn about the underlying cause of that condition. To learn about the conditioning agent. And now you comprehend it. Now you know what was causing that rut. Now I can dissolve that rut. And when she dissolves that rut, all of the consciousness that was being bottled up inside of that stone, that hardened clay, that fossilized rut, all of that is now liberated. And then you now have that to work with. That becomes your pool of available consciousness to work with. It's like chipping off a big hunk of ice that can get that gets taken out of the freezer and gets melted and can be evaporated and becomes for you now you can use that water you can use that water vapor you can grow orchids with it you can boil eggs in it 
you can you can make tea with it right it's free consciousness it's available to you now and more more importantly it's available to your innermost being you have greater access to your higher self because your higher self has more of its consciousness liberated and no longer conditioned it's unconditioned you have successfully unconditioned that bit of consciousness and it assumes its natural state and its natural state is objective knowledge its natural state is to know and to know itself to know the self is the natural state of consciousness as azil threw up a word here he said vanity and he tossed this up when we were talking about the difference we talked about you know paving over the ruts just paving it over with fresh cement with fresh concrete and he said vanity that's that's well said because in a very real way and i mean let's be honest uh you know women do that botox shit on their face and i guess some some men do it too you know they inject their face with botulism to to puff make their face puffy and so-called smooth out the wrinkles so that's exactly vanity and you look at cognitive behavioral therapy you look at all these other psychological psych, uh, psychologists uh you know smoothing over the problems and the defects and vices oh this is smooth it over right it's like it's a lot like you know sweeping things under the carpet but it's more sophisticated than sweeping things under the carpet we're going to smooth out those wrinkles we're going to give you some botox we're just going to smooth out all those wrinkles in your personality and all those behavioral defects and vices we're going to use something called cognitive behavioral therapy we're going to teach you alternate behaviors more positive behaviors more constructive behaviors yeah yeah more positive more constructive more everything but not more conscious it's going to seem more conscious for a while why because you're in the, under the training phase you have to actively train yourself into the new behaviors and you got to do so cognitively right so you got to be cognizant you got to be aware of these new behaviors i'm doing right but the goal with cognitive behavioral therapy is that eventually the old behavior just just goes away and instead this new behavior becomes habituated becomes automatic so whereas before if someone asked you about your weight before you would always get huffy and oh how dare you ask me that or or you would get sub subconscious you would start sweating or you would say you have a panic attack because somebody asked you a question in cognitive behavioral therapy now when someone asks you that same question you're like i'm so grateful you asked me that question yeah oh, thank you so much for asking that question oh how conscientious how, how, how conscientious of you to be thinking of me that way Does that seem conscious to you <laughs> or does that just seem like you know a habituated forced 
learned Pavlovian uh, trickery where you where, where you in the first instance, you were conditioned to have in a Pavlovian way to have a negative response. Now you've just turned it into a positive response. Positive, stay positive, positive thinking, positive everything, positive, positive, positive. Yeah, well, you can pave over all the negativity in your life with positive this and positive that and positive vibes and positive, positive, positive. And guess what? You're no more conscious. That doesn't mean that you want to indulge the negative. But but again, you we have to look at the difference in the in the in the analogies that we used. Difference between fixing a road <laughs> and removing the old ruts altogether versus just paving it over and smoothing it over and pretending like they were never there in the first place. Mugaboo22 says, One would think it is easy to observe ourselves. For me, I find myself constantly running away, looking for distractions, anything but observe dark, dark aspects. Yeah, because dark aspects don't want to be observed. Remember what we said about fear? Remember how we said that fear looks out for all of our egos? All of our egos in essence, have an element of fear. And the best defense is a good offense. If I want to defend myself, if I don't want someone looking at me, well, of course, the, the, of course, naturally, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, you know, either throw up a, a, a shield so that they can't see me, or better yet, I'm going to make some fireworks over there. I'm going to make a distraction over there. Oh, wait, look, look, look what's over there. Oh, look at that thing. Look at that amazing thing over there. Don't look, don't, don't look here. This is, I'm just boring. I'm not doing anything special. I'm boring. You don't want to look over here. Look at that amazing thing happening over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that. This is, this is look, at, look at stage magic. Look at stage magicians. How do they get away with what they're like? The Stage magicians are con artists. That's what they are. They're con artists. Distraction and... Uh, misdirection these are the words of the stage magician and these are the words of the ego and these are the words of the ego mind so when you find yourself in that situation that your 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 awareness is being pulled this way and then that way and then back you just relax relax and bring it back to where you need it to be and just, just if it gets batted away again, just bring it back. Just if it gets batted away again, just bring it back. It gets pulled over here, bring it back. If you want to recognize and be aware of what's pulling your attention, that's fine. But don't get caught up in it and don't indulge it. Just recognize it. Okay, so this is now trying to distract me over here. Okay, all right, I'm going to put my attention, my focus back to where it belongs. And people suffer from this thing that they call ADD and ADHD. And really, that's really what they're suffering from. And some people, have, uh, some psychologists have said that ADD and ADHD is actually really um, boredom. But the mind is bored. The mind, because the mind, you know, the mind is always seeking novelty. 
The reason why the, the, the mind can't focus and concentrate on something is because it gets bored. And there's an element of truth to that. But boredom is not a quality of consciousness. Boredom is a quality of ego because it's ego that is always seeking novelty. It's ego that only always wants the new thing, the next thing, the next greatest thing, the new experience, the next experience, the bigger experience, a badder experience, right? Because it's always on the downward spiral <clears throat> of explosion and implosion, right? So it's in the downward spiral of explosion means the spiral gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. That means that means when you were six years old, you went on the baby roller coaster. Now that you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s or what you know, now you got to go on the double looping upside down, backwards, forwards, in, out, caves, tunnels, mega fireballs, fire rings roller coaster, right? You can't go on the baby coaster anymore it's completely boring and that's that's what that is that's that lust that desire for the next greatest best that's all that's boredom and that's what that's what psychologists say is what add and adhd is the reason why you can't focus and concentrate is because the mind doesn't want to focus and concentrate the mind under the influence of egos because egos are desire and egos get bored, but it's not that egos are getting bored. Egos are executing their program. You execute your program here, and then you got to execute a program again and a program again. And every time you indulge that, it's got to be more and bigger and better and so on and so forth. And we've, we've, we, we, we now hear ourselves repeating ourselves and we've repeated ourselves in other live streams a million times. But unfortunately, because of the nature of our conditioned consciousness and the nature of our mind and how conditioned it is, um, you know, it's not that we have to hear the same thing 50 million times necessarily. It's just that the 50 million times we heard it, we didn't really hear it. We heard it, we listened to it, but we didn't really hear it. We didn't really take it to heart. And it's hopefully at some point in this, in the, in the 50 millionth time, the consciousness goes, Oh, okay, now I get it. But you have to experience it. You have to know that. You have to practice it. And yes, Mugaboo, it's difficult to practice. It's difficult to practice for everybody. And it's some people, it's harder than others. I admit that. So that's all we can do is play psychological judo with our thoughts and our egos that are distracting us. If a thought arises... You acknowledge it and you let it go. And you can do this in meditation as well. It's called psychological judo. And we've talked about this practice before. It's uh, the only, it's really the only way to naturally quiet the mind. You let the mind burn itself out. You let the mind just keep, you just use its own force against it. You don't try, you don't force anything. The mind will force its thoughts upon you. You see them, you recognize them, you let them go. You see it, you recognize it, you let it go. Something comes from over here, you see it, you recognize it, let it go. Now from over here, now from up here, now from up here. And it's like watching a kung fu movie where, where the judo master is not hitting or punching 
anything. He's just sitting in the middle and he's allowing the assailants, the attackers to come at him from all sides. And all he does is he takes the momentum of his attacker and he twists it and he, 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 he manipulates them and he uses their own energy of attack against them. And he, and he subdues them that way and he repels them and then become the, he repels another one and then another one and another one and another one. And it's a beautiful thing to watch a Juno master uh, deflect his opponents. We do the same thing psychologically and we use our free consciousness as that judo master. And eventually, eventually the mind runs out of goons <laughs> to throw at us. Eventually, the judo master is left alone. And there's nobody, there's nobody attacking him anymore. And then the judo master can sit down and begin meditate. A quick word on conditioning out there in the world. Well, we all know, know about Pavlovian conditioning and, you know, all that stuff. And we talked about conditioning of the physical body. We know about conditioning of the mental body. We know the things like television and advertising. Uh, social media has conditioned an entire generation to behave a certain way and react a certain way online. TikTok is now doing that to, gen, to gen Zs. So, uh, mind manipulation, uh, all of these things. These are very real phenomena. But the important thing to remember is that none of that can work. None of that would be possible. And none of that would have any relevance whatsoever if humanity were awake and if humanity was cognizant of its internal conditioning. In other words, if humanity was cognizant of the Black Lodge and its own internal psychological conditioning that's, that's conditioning the consciousness. But humanity is asleep. They're not aware of the conditioner, air conditioner, consciousness conditioner, the freezer, right? That's freezing the ice cubes in the tray in up here and in here. So as long as humanity remains unaware of that, then of course, they can be brainwashed and conditioned and manipulated by outside forces. And in fact, one of the reasons why there are so many outside forces vying to manipulate and condition and brainwash humanity is because, it, because that way, humanity can keep pointing the finger out there. They can blame the elite. They can, they can blame... Uh, you know, the, the Illuminati and blame these groups and that elite and those pedophiles and those reptilians and, and the, uh, and, you know, and the, the main street media and the organized religions and everybody and everything out there, the patriarchy, you name it, everybody and everything out there, they're the ones doing the manipulating. They're the ones doing the conditioning. They're the ones who, who are literally the state of humanity. They're the ones who are dictating to humanity, uh, it's and causing all the suffering. Well, you see, that is the greatest bait and switch of them all. That is the greatest distraction and misdirection of them all. That is the greatest con job that the ego, the Black Lodge, has ever pulled on humanity. That the cause of all your problems is out there. 
because so long as we so as long as we can have you uh, hypnotized by that belief, so long as we can get you to hold that belief as a hardened truth that you would be fine and you would be perfect and you would be a true human being and you would be awake and free and and everything if only the patriarchy would go away or if only those those global billionaires and the global elite and the illuminati and if only all those all those corrupt governments and uh, you know if only and only if my 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 ex-wife and 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 everybody else around in my life and in the world who's the cause of of all of my trauma if only we could fix all of that then we would fix the human condition this and just think of the time and energy and effort that's being put into doing just that and i'm not saying that there's no value and no merit in those arguments. We're not saying that those are completely lost causes or completely not worth doing, but <clears throat> to do all of that at the exclusion of the internal work and to focus on all of that at the exclusion of unconditioning one's own consciousness is a recipe for failure, is a recipe for disaster. And um, and we look forward to be able to share with you um, all of this in our in our upcoming book, which again today was another example of a topic which was uh, given to me to speak of to speak about, uh, not knowing where it was going. And not knowing why I was told to do it, but I know now. It's in the course of <clears throat> trusting, right? This is what it's like following your innermost being, right? It's like your GPS on your phone. When you're using a GPS on your phone, it's telling you turn left, turn right. Go straight, get on the on-ramp, take this exit, turn left, turn right. Now you have reached your destination. That's how your GPS works, right? In the moment, moment by moment. And as you, if, you, if you want to cultivate, if you want to condition yourself in a positive way, and one of the things that you can do in terms of uh, conditioning yourself in a positive way is practice listening to your intuition and practice following your intuition and trusting your intuition. Because I say cultivating, I say conditioning is not, conditioning is not the right word. What you're doing is you're deconditioning your fear. You're deconditioning 
your mistrust and your self-doubt by trusting your intuition moment by moment and we've you know we're, we're not there yet we're still we're still in formation right we're still atlas in formation we've got a lot to learn we've got a long way to go but we know enough that two and a half hour two and a half hours ago we began talking about the human condition and 24 hours ago roughly we 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 were told to make to set the topic and then two and a half hours ago we began today's live stream not knowing what we now know at least i didn't know what i now know atlas knew <laughs> because atlas was the one speaking to you so Atlas knew we were going to end up here, but I didn't know. But here we are. And this is very much uh, the whole point of the book that we're writing about the human condition. And, and that the four big pillars that we were talking about was last weekend. Um, we were talking about uh, these four walls closing in on humanity and how they were all offering an, a, a kind of an awakening. And what we're really uh, now at the end of today, what we're here to, where we've all arrived at is each one of those four pillars, well, those four walls closing in around humanity are just all forms of different different forms of conditioning but conditioning humanity to believe it is awake and 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 conditioning humanity to believe it is awakening if not already awake right there can be no more dangerous condition than that right and to harden to have imagine being stuck in a rut where you think you're awake and you believe you're awake. You're stuck in a rut, but you believe you're awake. You're stuck on the downward spiral, but you believe that you're awakening. That is how serious this is. And really, for who, who this book is for are all those people, and there's millions of them, untold millions of them who deep down in their heart they feel the longing they feel the need to awaken they're drawn to it they're pulled to it they're seeking the path to awaken and awakening and here the black lodge responsible for the human condition has laid out for them four traps, four paths that if they walk down and if they get stuck on those paths, if they walk those paths long enough and get in deep enough, 
they will end up believing that they are at the very least awakening or that they're awake or that the path that they're on is going to lead them to nirvana, is going to lead them to, to uh, uh, utopia and the new golden age. The Black Lodge designed these those four paths, transhumanism, conspiracy, woke, and new age. The Black Lodge designed them to trap and ensnare all of us who are seeking a genuine path to awakening. And, and all those paths are conditioning the consciousness of the people who are stuck on them, who are stuck in those ruts. And their consciousness is becoming ever more conditioned, more and more and more and more conditioned. And they're, they're, so the, such that those paths and belief in those paths are set in stone. And the greatest challenge that we face with this book is that fact that that their the fear within them is going to is going to fight back is going to resist them seeing the rut that they're in and seeing the truth that the path that they're on is not a path of awakening it's a path of conditioning it's a path of falling deeper into the human condition and that's really what today was about and as we've said many, many times, these live streams are at least as much for our benefit as they are yours. Benjamin says, in the Gospel of Thomas, this is stated. His disciples questioned him and said to him, do you want us to fast? How shall we pray? Shall we give alms? What diet shall we observe? Jesus said, do not tell lies. And do not do what you hate, for all things are plain in the sight of heaven. For nothing hidden will not become manifest, and nothing covered will remain without being uncovered. Um, and he follows up here and he says, Based on today's topic, I think the way to decondition is to be truthful as always and perceive things as they truly are. That is why the holy name of God is I am that I am. Yeah, and this is why um, we mentioned the Divine Mother and how the ruts that we get stuck in and the mechanicity that we're stuck in has a purpose, just as all of mechanical nature has a purpose, right? And it's the purpose is for us to overcome it. And that the, and that our divine mother who created it can uncreate it, can decondition it. But again, how does that happen? Well, it happens when we extract the truth. And that truth is that I am that I am. It is what it is. And what is it? Oh, it's this. And that knowledge, that experience of that experiential knowledge, that's that connection that we have through consciousness to the being because we we are in beingness when we have comprehension. We are one with that knowledge. We are, in, in essence, one with that gnosis, which is the knowledge of the universe. 
which is which is God's knowledge of self. That is the I am that I am. But I am that I am is not one thing. I am that I am is everything. So when you comprehend one thing, but that one thing is part of everything, you experience that oneness through your, your being. You experience being and you experience that being with that oneness, with that da'at, with that gnosis. What, you, what we seek in life, what we seek on the spiritual path, the oneness, the truth, the light, the God, the absolute, but we get a taste of it. We get a we get an, a spark, a little awakening, a little a little moment of 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 aha, of eureka, when we comprehend what's trapped in these in these lies, in these deceptions that uh, that Benjamin is talking about unveiling here. And that's why Apocalypse and the Book of Revelation is about awakening of consciousness. That's why it's called it's the Book of Revelation. And Apocalypse means to awaken to reveal, to unveil. And, and that's why and it, it is through death that the great unveiling takes place. And so ego death, right, to die before you die, is the process of unveiling what? The truth that we needed that was, that was encased, that was the consciousness that was trapped, that was conditioned by those egos. You eliminate the egos, the ego dies, those, that particular ego dies, and it releases the consciousness from its conditioning. And now you have unconditioned consciousness. And you know how that particular ego was conditioning that consciousness. So not only do you have more free consciousness to work with, now you also have contributed that knowledge, that, da, that self-evident experiential knowledge, that gnosis, to that, to the knowledge, the collective knowledge of the universe. And it's in giving that we receive, yeah? It's in service to others that we receive. In the process of comprehending ego, in the process of that another step towards awakening, another, another uh, step forward on the upward spiral of the alm of life, of expansion of consciousness and synthesis of being, we are contributing to the great I am that I am. We are contributing to God. We are making a contribution to God. There's no better way to worship. Right? To, to sacrifice our, ourselves for the sake of others, for, this, for the sake of Christ, the Logos, the perfect multiple unity. And that's why service to others is service to God because that which you do to for the least of my brothers, you do unto me, Jesus said. This is all connected, but it's all about deconditioning oneself, escaping the conditioned reality, escaping the human condition and using the human condition as a springboard to knowledge, as a springboard to awakening, as a springboard to development, to mastery, to master the human condition, to be a master of the human condition means to be a master of one's self.
Does anybody have any uh, questions or comments? Anyone? We'll give you a chance to type if you're typing. There's not too many of you on the live stream uh, at the moment, so but we'll give you a minute or two. I want to thank you all again for uh, joining us today. We hope you found today valuable. We hope you found it. Um, it's isn't it interesting how you know we can take something as simple as the human condition. And it sounds so simple and it sounds so innocuous and we could talk for over two and a half hours and you might think well that that seems a little strange or that maybe seems a little self-indulgent or um or um um excessive or yeah or yeah indulgent intellectually it may be uh, indulgent intellectualism or whatever but considering that the whole of the body of global literature, scripture, fairy tales, and folklore <laughs> is all devoted to the very same topic, the human condition. Uh, we don't think two and a half hours is 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 outside the uh, um, the 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 scope of uh, of appropriateness for the topic. Kamal Manzuki says, I still want to watch The Pope's Exorcist, but given the subject matter, I think it best to come by the movie honestly. My only option right now would be piracy. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough, Kamal Manzuki. We hear you. And you know what? Given the subject matter, you might not want to watch it in the theaters anyway. Uh, and, you know, I it won't be too long before it gets on streaming uh, somewhere. Maybe Netflix, maybe Amazon, who knows? Or generally speaking, even if it comes to this, something like uh, Google Movies or whatever, it's like it's like a couple bucks to rent a movie on Google Movies. So, but in any case, it, it's not. Uh, you might do just as well just to watch Russell Crowe in a couple interviews talking about the movie, because really, it's the priest himself um, that's that's a, is of interest in his life and his work. The movie is, of course, a Hollywood sort of fantastical expression of that. I mean, it's good, and it's very interesting the direction they take it and the connection between de the demon and certain historical events of the church. Um, and so, but again, if you're if you're if you're strapped for uh, financially, then it's by no means. Our, I don't want you to have the fear of missing out, right? Or what they call FOMO. Um, you're not, it's not a huge loss. It's not the end of the world. Um, again, look up some interviews with Russell Crowe on YouTube and, um, cause he has, there's a, there's a few excellent ones out there, including the one with, uh, what they call the critical drinker. Maybe I'll pull up the link in a second. Benjamin says, nope, very good chat. Thank you. Well, you're more than welcome, Benjamin. Thank you for being here. And Benjamin Raphael says that is true. Quote, true greatness lies in serving others. Let's strive to be the best versions of ourselves by lending a helping hand to those around us. Thank you, sir, for always sharing your knowledge. You're welcome, Benjamin. Thank you for being here, and thank you for sharing your uh, your knowledge of biblical quotes and uh, and in, in today's uh, instance, the uh, the Gnostic Gospels. 
you're always they're always a tremendous contribution to the topic at hand. They're always relevant, and they always make uh, uh, and, and oftentimes, like today, a very nice punctuation point on the live stream. So thank you for that. Um, anyone else have anything to ask? Or uh, Okay, Kamal Manzuki says, I really like the metaphor of frozen ice chunks of consciousness. Think it'll be useful going forward. Good to know. Um, if it's helpful, um, if you've ever seen Terminator 2, and even though in that instance, the Terminator 2 I know is a, technically a machine and it's a Terminator and it's a mechanical and it's not exactly in that sense the best thing to use as an example. However, for the purposes of visualization, Terminator 2, the Terminator uh, T-1000 is, is liquid metal. And it's able to morph and change and and right and change its shape because it's it's liquid metal. And you remember that scene that um, the uh, the the term the uh, there's a truck of liquid nitrogen, and it breaks and liquid nitrogen floods the scene and the T one thousand becomes frozen, and he becomes brittle and he starts breaking apart. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger says, hasta la vista, baby. And he shoots him and he shatters him into a thousand pieces, right? So you can see like that's a, it's a very powerful visualization that this liquid metal entity that had this flexibility and fluidity all of a sudden becomes rigid and hard and then, then is shattered, is undone. But then this happens outside the metal refinery and as the heat from the metal refinery comes and starts heating up the chunks of frozen metal they start um they start melting again and they go back and they become like uh like mercury and they start flowing and they start you know congealing and they start coagulating and congealing back and they and the the t1000 start rises up again so um just for the pure visualization of that of, of having a, a fluid, liquid being, and what happens to us when our consciousness becomes frozen and we become and, and hard and brittle and inflexible. And then what it takes to break out of that and the application of heat and then restore that fluid, flexible being. But I'm glad I'm glad the metaphor worked for you. Um, we certainly had no that's just the metaphor just came to me just came to us um in the live stream we had no premeditated like we said we we never premeditate these talks we have no notes we don't generally do much in the way of preparation it's just it's just spontaneously wakeful meditation we're just sharing with you what we're told to share so if it worked for you then then that's wonderful any more uh, comments or questions Anybody like to chime in? Any more uh, thoughts? If not, then um, 
once again, we want to thank you all for uh, for being here today. Um, by way of announcements, uh, we don't have any other videos or anything in the works at the moment. Um, we really are focusing on this book. And, um, and as you've noticed last week and this week, our talk has been uh, oriented around um, that particular enterprise. And we, uh, we are making significant progress there. And um, we hope to be able to, to share more uh, about that progress and, and, um, and hopefully be in a position to, to tell you the book is available uh, soon <laughs> without, without making any promises. So thank you all very much uh, for joining us, and we hope to see you again next week. And as always, uh, inverential, inverential peace. Uh, take care, everyone.